Well, we all have some quirks, right? Well, I am going to let you in on one of my husband's quirks. <laughs> Don't worry, I got permission from him. But picture this like over 20 years ago. I learned it back early on when we were dating. But I'll tell you, I didn't appreciate it very much. In fact, it very much offended me. One of the things that he liked to do was to not open a present that he gets. If he was looking forward to getting something from someone, it made him not want to open it. I think it was a mix of disciplines, delayed gratification, and then really wanting to savor the sweetness of getting something from someone and not wanting it to be over with really quick. But that's besides the point, right? I mean, pretend that his motivations were not very interesting. The point was, I had a gift that I wanted to give him, and I wanted him to open it, and I wanted him to enjoy it, and he would not. So, you know, I hand him the gift, he says thank you, he puts it down, and it would stay there for days, for days. I just open the gift, I just want you to see it and enjoy it. And he says that he appreciated it, right? But it was hard to believe because there it is just sitting there. Well, eventually that did not become his practice. He no longer waits to open gifts. But let's just pretend that it did. Picture that, right? Picture he gets these gifts and he does not open them for whatever reason, and they just start piling up. He has a closet of unopened gifts. And then it turns into a bedroom of unopened gifts. And they're not from me anymore because I have learned my lesson. I give him no gifts. But you, you're very generous and you wanted to give him something that you thought that he would enjoy. And so you give it to him and he never opens it. And it, it seems like he appreciates it, right? It seems like he values it. There they all are, right? All these unopened gifts, these unused treasures. What a bummer that would be because there's been all these people who've been kind and generous and he never really experiences it, at least not practically speaking. That's a very silly picture, of course, but that is a lot like what we do with the wisdom that God has for us. It's these gifts in a sense where day by day, trial by trial, whenever we need it most, it's like God has this gift for us. It's all packaged up. You can picture each piece of wisdom that he wants to give us all packaged up like a gift. And we appreciate, right, the fact that God would give us wisdom. We value that very much. We might even say, I really need God's wisdom in this situation. But practically speaking, do we really take God up on his generosity? Do we truly seek this wisdom and use this wisdom? What a shame it would be to get to the end of our lives, to look back and to see that it's like we have this closet full of unopened gifts. All this wisdom that God wanted us to have, and we never opened it. Instead, we went at it alone when we needed his wisdom the most. That would be a bummer. And in that sense, James's words about wisdom come to us today with great practical urgency. It's time we move beyond the awareness of God's wisdom and make sure we really tap into it. So turn with me to James chapter 1 if you haven't already. We will be looking at verses 5 through 8 this morning, and then we will see that God wants to give us his wisdom, and we would be fools not to take it. It's a gift that is not meant to remain 
unopened. So James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 reads, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's start by just looking at verse 5. You see that it starts with a phrase, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I know that that reminds you of what you read in verse 4, where it talked about how we're supposed to be lacking in nothing. So that word lack is connecting it. So it was talking about trials, right, in verse 3, and then we get to verse 4, where it talks about how those trials are supposed to make it so that our character is lacking in nothing. But James, as he's writing, he's picturing these people going through trials, and he's thinking they're going to come into times when they're not going to know what to do in these trials, where there's going to be a problem in their life and they're going to be at a loss. I mean, especially if they're going to handle the trials the way God wants them to handle the trials, right? So that it actually sanctifies them and grows them. And it's not hard to transfer that over to our context. There's going to be trials in our life. There's going to be problems in our life when we're not going to know what to do. We're not going to know the right thing to do. We're not going to know the way that God wants us to do it. And just in daily life, we can see that, that there are times when we don't know what to do and we need God's wisdom. So let's just start there with point number one. Acknowledge your need for wisdom. Acknowledge your need for wisdom. It's good, it's good at first to just define what that means. What is wisdom? As much as we know it's not about being smart, it is very easy to equate being smart with being wise, especially someone who is biblically smart. Right? If you know a lot of Bible, it would seem like you are a wise person. But even that is not what wisdom means here. It's far more than knowledge. Wisdom is an understanding of God's ways that leads to living out God's ways. It's knowledge that comes from God to us, and it affects who we are, it affects what we think to do, and then it affects what we actually do. We often think of it in terms of making decisions. You know, we need wisdom to make decisions, and it is that, but it's more than that. It's about who we are as we make those decisions. It's all-encompassing. Wanting wisdom has two components. First, it's the desire to please God, the desire to live a life that is a kind of life God wants us to live. And then with it is a desire to ask God to help us to do that as best as possible. So we all need more of that, right? We all need more desire to please God and to live for him. And we all need help to do that better. You could compare wisdom to having something like a personal health trainer. Like picture someone who's like 24-7, other than when you sleep, they are there with you. And as they go throughout your day with you, they are giving you advice. They are nudging you in the right direction. They are telling you things that you should eat. They're telling you things that you shouldn't eat. They're telling you how you should exercise. They're telling you how you shouldn't exercise. They're telling you, yeah, that habit is probably not so good for you. So picture someone going through life with you. How much healthier would you be at the end of a week if you had someone with you like that all the time? I imagine you think, yeah, I would probably be a bit healthier. But if you had someone like that for six weeks, oh yeah, I might reach some goals, right? I'd get a little bit healthier. What if you had someone with you like that for a year? 
all day long for a year. You're probably like, I don't really want to be that healthy, right? That sounds actually quite painful, and it might be. But we do want to be that godly. We want that kind of spiritual trainer that wisdom is. In fact, the more pushy that kind of trainer is, the better. Pushes us to make choices that God would be pleased with. And it should be noted that if for a second we think that this wisdom that we are seeking after is for anything less than that, than for making wise choices, that it might actually be worldly wisdom that we are after. We see that in James, there is this comparison between there's godly wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. And in chapter three, we'll study that, we'll get into it. But just to summarize what worldly wisdom is, is it's this knowledge, this wisdom that is all about the self. It's self-centered wisdom. So basically, what we're not looking for in this wisdom that we know that we need and we're going to ask for is we're not asking for God to give us knowledge that would make our personal kingdom better. Ironically, it's not going to be the kind of wisdom, the knowledge that would help us meet our physical fitness goals or that would make us look as young as we want to look or that would help us gain a following or gain people liking us or that would help us climb the corporate ladder or make our kids more successful in the world's eyes. That's not the kind of knowledge we're after. Wisdom is a trainer towards more godliness. So three quick subpoints on why we need this wisdom. I'm sure we could think of dozens, but just three. Uh, the first one is thinking about eternity. Letter A, we need this wisdom to live for God without regret. That's why we need this wisdom, to live for God without regret. We don't want to regret how we handle the trials when they come our way, when they surprise us, when our world's falling apart. We don't want to regret how we walk through those days. We don't want to look back and see that we melted in the stress. And we don't want to regret anything in life, right? I do not want to regret how I parent my kids. I don't want to regret how I spend my money. I don't want to regret how I spend my time. I don't want to regret how I use the abilities that God has given us. And so who we go to to know how to not regret those things is God, who knows everything 100% of the time. Isaiah 46.10 says that he knows the end from the beginning. His knowledge is so vast. If we want to know how to not regret anything we do, we go to him. He will help us think more clearly. He will give us the right perspective. He will help us live more godly. He will help us make decisions that we won't regret, to be the kind of person that we won't regret. Because left to our own devices, we can be nearsighted, distracted, and overly focused on ourselves. And God's wisdom cuts through all of that and leads us where we should go. Proverbs 3, 6 says that it is he that will make our path straight. And we want that straight path to take us all the way to the day we meet Jesus. Another reason, letter B, is life is confusing and we need God's help. It's not confusing to God, of course, but it is confusing to us at times. And so we need God's help. We need his wisdom. Life can feel a lot like a maze, like a life-size 
human version of a maze. You can picture yourself being in one. You picture the walls all around you. You don't know which way to go. You can see you can go left, you can go right. Sometimes you can go a third direction. You go one way, you realize you're stuck. You go a different way, oh, it doesn't seem so good. And we don't know which way to go a lot of times. But you think of God, God's perspective on this maze, he's looking down on it, right? He can see exactly which way you should go. He can say which route you should take. He knows all of it. It's his wisdom that we need. Think of the context of James. They were going through all kinds of situations that would have felt just like those mazes. They had persecution. They had financial issues. They had economic issues. Many people were being treated unjustly. Some were being displaced from their homes. No doubt they felt confused, and James knew that. And so he said, as you're going through these things, if you feel like you're lacking wisdom, go to God. He is who you need. And the same with us. We're going to have situations that feel like uncharted territory. We're going to have relationship struggles that we've never had before. We're going to have health struggles that seem unmanageable. We're going to go through different things where we're going to feel confused, and we're going to need God's help. I mean, all kinds of new issues in our day. I mean, I think of teens and technology. That one right there is a beast, let me tell you. Or in the workplace, you know, dealing with your pronouns all of a sudden. And if you're not confused, just look at the culture. <laughs> the culture is confused. And if you're just around it for a little bit, you might find yourself confused. And sadly, it's no longer just out there, right? We're seeing that it's getting closer to home. People that we know and that we love, they're starting to follow the ways of the world. They're starting to get confused. And in those times, it's God's wisdom that we need to know how to love the people in our lives, to know how to speak truth in the right kind of way, to know when we should speak up and when we should not. All of these things require us to go to God for wisdom. And let her see, we need God's wisdom because it is best for us. Living with God's wisdom is good for us. It is very good for us. If you want to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at a handful of verses there. In this book, we see that it speaks of wisdom's benefits. Proverbs chapter 3 is where we're going to look. I started to try and count how many times in the book of Proverbs it talked about the benefits of wisdom. And I quit around chapter 6 because I found that it's just about every other verse that is saying that wisdom, either having wisdom or seeking wisdom, is good for you. It goes better for you when you do. And if you don't, there was a lot on the flip side. If you don't seek wisdom, if you don't want wisdom, it's not going to go well for you. So it's basically, I think, the summary of the book. But let's just look at one passage that highlights that well. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 13. It starts with blessed which you know means happy. Happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Just a few more verses. Let's read verse 21 through 24. It says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. 
Of course, these are principles, right? They're not promises. You're not going to be rich because you're seeking after wisdom, but you see the direction of the life of someone who is seeking after wisdom. It goes well for them. A lot of things go well for them. I think especially those last four verses, just the peace that we have when we have God's wisdom. Uh, We will walk on our way securely, verse 23, our foot will not stumble. Verse 24, you will not be afraid. Your sleep will be sweet. Isn't that what we want? We need this wisdom to do life well, and we need to make sure we acknowledge our need for it. The amazing thing is, if we know that we need it, if we really want it, God just says, ask for it. Isn't that where it goes in verse 5? Let's look back down at the text. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we're not asking, wondering whether God wants us to ask. I mean, it says that he is ready to give generously. And that doesn't just mean liberally. It also means like he very much wants to give in a single-minded kind of way. Like the way that you would as a mom, if you put a plate of vegetables in front of your kid and you say, I really want you to have this. I'm going to give you a lot and I want you to have that thing. And he's willing to give it to all, referring to anyone who is asking. And without reproach, so without hesitation, without any kind of grudge, I mean, very unlike human nature, right? We get a lot of questions, we get a lot of requests, and we're like, oh, you're asking me again, or, or oh, that's a big ask. Completely unlike God, where he does not question our question, even though we've asked it, say, a hundred times in a day. No hesitation at all. And then just in case it's not clear, the verse ends with, and it will be given to him, referring to the one who asks. So if we want wisdom, it's safe to say that God wants us to ask for it, to really seek after it because he's ready to give it. So let's write that down for point number two. Seek God's wisdom. Let's really seek God's wisdom. And seeking comes with the connotation that we're asking, but we're asking with the intent to look for the answer. It's a wholehearted kind of asking, which makes me think first, do we even ask? I mean, like literally, do we stop? Do we talk to God about our situation? And do we ask for wisdom? Because sadly, I can think of so many times where I knew that I needed wisdom. I even asked other people to pray. Pray that God would give me wisdom in this situation. And then I look back and I think, wait, did I ever stop to ask God for wisdom myself? Or was I just busy doing all the things that I thought to do that would be best in this situation or to fix the situation? We need to actually ask God. Or just think, how often do we ask God for wisdom versus going to something like Google for wisdom? Or how often do we go to Google first before we ask God for wisdom? So that's certainly step number one is just actually ask God for wisdom. And just in that act, I think we are gaining a bit of wisdom. Because we're not just sitting there stewing in our own thoughts and in our own emotions. We're not getting more worked up in worry. We're not going to man's wisdom. We're not trying to think of all the things that we could do to fix the situation. Instead, we're mindfully submitting it all to God's will, giving it all to him in prayer. And then as we pray, or maybe in answer to our prayers, the Spirit often convicts us 
right? We start realizing maybe some things that we need to think differently about, or he comforts us if that's what we need. He helps us see the situation more clearly. And of course, we know through prayer, God can move things. He can change things so that it makes it more obvious what the right thing to do is. But just to think that if, if we're just getting our hearts and our minds, if we're getting our thoughts more in submission to Christ, that is a big step towards wisdom, seeing life his way. And then what? We ask God, we really pray, and then we further seek. Because I have a couple toddlers in my life, when I think of the word seek, I think of hide and seek. And so I do play this game at times, but I am terrible at it because first of all, I never do the hiding. And second of all, I only half-heartedly seek. And I bet you've done it too. You tell the kid to go hide somewhere, and in the meantime, while they are safely put in one little spot, you go get done as many things as you possibly can, right? That's when you're wiping down the counter, you're putting dishes in the dishwasher, you're sending a couple emails, you're doing all the things that you can think to do. That's exactly what we should not do when we are seeking God's wisdom, where it's like, wisdom, where are you? And then you're going and doing all the things that you can think to do to fix the situation. If we say we want God's wisdom, we need to get up and we need to start looking. We need to start seeking. And it goes without saying that wisdom's number one hiding spot is God's word. The Bible is a whole book of wisdom. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 119. We're going to look at a handful of verses there as well. As you know, it's a chapter that is all about God's word. But in this text specifically, we will see how God's word and God's wisdom go hand in hand. So Psalm chapter 119, we're going to look at verses 97 to 104. And as we read, you'll see the synonyms for God's word. There's one placed in each verse, and then you'll also see what it says about the wisdom that is given to us through God's word. So verse 97 reads, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I'm sure you see it very clearly. We have God's word, the law, the commandment, the testimonies, the precepts, and then we see that it makes us wiser than our enemies, more understanding than all my teachers, right? That's not the people you expect to be wiser than. Or all these people that are older than you, you would expect them to be wiser than you, but because you have God's word, you have this amazing amount of wisdom. Verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. And we know that's wisdom because we see all throughout this chunk of scripture that it affects your life. It's not just understanding like knowledge. It's the kind of understanding that verse 101 says, I hold back my feet from every evil way. If we want wisdom, we need to first go to God's word. And I mean really go to God's word. Which reminds me of another mom moment. Uh, my older four have graduated from hide and seek. 
I only wish there was moments where they were hiding in one spot and I could get a bunch of things done, right? You think the younger years are crazy and then you get to the older years and you realize it's just crazy in a whole different kind of way. There's just so many good things for them to do. So I've tried to streamline this craziness and busyness. And one way I've done it is I have this piece of paper that I've printed and I've framed and I put it on my island. And this piece of paper basically says anything important that they need to know about the day. Anything important that I want them to do that day. And so the other day, I did have something important for them to do. I wrote it on this board. I let the whole day go by. The next day, I asked this child, who shall remain nameless, if she did this thing, because it appeared that she probably didn't. And she says to me, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I was like, wait, like every day they're supposed to read this board, right? They know it's there. It is always there for them. You know, something wasn't adding up, but then it did add up. And I was thinking, okay, I get it. The, the thing is, she didn't really want to know what it is that I wanted her to do, at least not deeply. In that moment, she thought she had more important things to do. And it's the same with us, right? If we really want to know what God wants us to do, we have it on paper. And I'm just thinking my daughter, if she really, really wanted to know what I wanted her to do, she would for sure read it. But she'd read it carefully, right? She'd read it thoroughly, all of it, right? She would see what I starred. She'd see what I underlined. She would see what I boxed in. If we really wanted to know what God wanted us to do, we would read it and read it carefully, read it thoughtfully. We would dive in there and really think, how do God's principles relate to the situations that I have going on in my life? And just think, what if my daughter, she read it, but she actually wasn't sure. She wasn't sure exactly what I meant when I said that I wanted her to do something. The thing is, she has three other sisters who can read, right? And these sisters all know me pretty well. She could ask them. And same is true for us, right? There's times when we feel stuck. We have a whole lot of sisters that can read God's word and that know him pretty well. And we have biblical counselors and we have church leaders. I mean, all these people in God's church that could come alongside us, that know how to read God's word, that know how to see the principles and know how to put them together and to help us out. And there's no shame in asking, right? God wants us to go to each other, to have godly people in our lives who we say, okay, here's my situation. Help me think through God's word better. Wisdom is there. We just have to seek after it and we will find it. We will find it as we pray. We will find it as the Spirit convicts us. We will find it as we go to God's word and we look at his principles. We will find it as we seek out the godly people in our lives who can help us to see what God wants us to do more clearly. If we seek it, God will give it. But there is one caveat, as you know, because you studied this text. James says that we need to ask for this wisdom in a certain kind of way. So let's look at the rest of the text together, verses six through eight, and we'll see that. James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And when we first read that, I think it kind of takes the wind out of our sails a little bit, right? We're like, okay, we know we need wisdom. I want God's wisdom. It's really good. All I have to do is ask. And then we read this and we're like, wait a minute. There's some people who don't actually get wisdom or they shouldn't even think that they should get wisdom. How does that work? Well, that is true, but only in the most logical, reasonable way. God is not going to give his wisdom to people who don't even trust him. They wouldn't trust his wisdom. They're not even going to trust that he gives the wisdom. They're the people who it describes as, in verse 8, as double-minded. So it's like they say they want wisdom, but they don't actually trust God for that wisdom. Uh, it says they're unstable, so they're a bit all over the place in their minds. It describes them as the waves of the sea. And of course, this is not the waves that come crashing in consistently, right? This is the waves of the sea that are in a storm that are all over the place. As the wind is moving the water all over, it's up and down and it's all around. And so is someone who says that they want wisdom, but doesn't actually trust God. If we want God's wisdom, we need to trust him for it. So that's point number three, trust in God's promise of wisdom. And all we have to do is look up at verse five and see why. Why would we trust God? Because he is a generous God. And he gives to all without reproach, without hesitation. And he says it will be given, and we need to trust that. We need to trust God's good character. He is not in the business of tricking us, right? He is not in the business of confusing us. We can move forward with confidence that if we ask God for wisdom, he is going to give us the wisdom. We don't need to ever be paralyzed where we just sit there and think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We might not know what to do in 10 days, right? We might not know what to do even in 10 minutes, but we will know the next thing to do, kind of like a flashlight on a dark path. As you're walking, you might not be able to see all in front of you, but you can see what the next step is that God wants you to take. And not only is he not in the business of tricking us, what he is in the business of doing is helping us to be more godly. That's how James started, right? There's these trials, and he wants to use them in our lives to make us more godly. And what is it we're asking for when we're asking for wisdom? We're asking for understanding that would help us to live a godly life. In other words, that is the kind of prayer that God wants to answer. He is in the business of making us more godly. Very much connects to Jesus' words in Matthew 7. If you want to write it down or look it up real quick, you can. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we have this comparison between an earthly father, described as evil because, you know, sinful nature, right? In comparison to God, every father would be like an evil father, but what kind of gifts do an, even a sinful man give to the children? Good gifts, right? Even bad fathers want to give good gifts to their children, and here we have our heavenly father. He is perfectly good. He is perfectly loving, 
perfect in all kinds of ways, and wisdom is one of those good gifts, right? He wants us to have the understanding to live a godly life. We need to trust that he will give that. But let's think more about the double-minded person. It's not just someone who doubts that God will give the wisdom. It's someone who doubts the wisdom when it comes. I can think of people who have complete faith that God would give them the wisdom. I mean, when it comes to prayer, they believe that God answers prayers. In fact, they wouldn't be surprised if a piece of paper came down from the sky that said, this is exactly what you should do, and it's written with their name on it. But when the wisdom actually comes, right, when the pastor is preaching the very thing that they need to hear, when they're reading God's word and the principles are right there, black and white in their face, or when their friend is encouraging them to do the right thing, when wisdom is staring them in the face, they don't want it. They don't want to do what God wants them to do. It just costs too much, right? If, if it's wise that I should forgive this person, no, no, I can't do that. That's really hard. If it's wise that I speak up in this situation, no, that, that might ruin my relationships. No, I can't do that. It's wise to invest in my marriage. Yeah, that's, that's too hard right now. It might seem wise for somebody else, but I, not right now. Maybe I'll get back to it later. Someone who says they want God's wisdom but doesn't actually trust God when it's right there for them. And that is the kind of asking that is not in faith. It doesn't come with trusting God. And what he says is wise is actually wise and worthwhile to do. And if that's our pattern, we need to repent. There's a warning in Proverbs that's actually quite scary. It's about wisdom that's going through the streets and it's calling out. It's calling out loudly for anyone who will hear it. They will be wise. They can have this wisdom. But there's some people who have rejected it. And because they have rejected it, Proverbs 128 says, then they will call upon me, referring to wisdom, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. If we don't respond to the wisdom that we've been given, we shouldn't expect to get any more of it. That kind of person is double-minded. And James 1.7 says, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. We need to trust that God's wisdom is far wiser than anything that we would think to do even if what we think to do sounds better at the moment, even if it would feel better. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. We don't want to be fools, right? We always want to walk in God's ways. We want to sign what's often said to be the blank check, right? Sign that blank check. Put your name on it. It doesn't matter the amount. Whatever we learn is wise according to God, there it is. I will do it. God gives me his wisdom wholeheartedly. I want to follow him wholeheartedly. We need to trust in God, trust in his wisdom. It really is what we need to get through life well. Has anyone done one of those escape rooms? Kind of, They're kind of new around here. Well, we did one this summer. We took the whole family, all six kids, me and my husband, we took them to an escape room, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, the idea is, if you've never done one, you go into this room, and you have a series of 
puzzles and riddles that you have to solve in order to escape, right, in order to succeed. And you have an hour to do it, so you're racing the clock. So we did this. It was fun. You saw everyone's strengths and weaknesses, and we saw the littles, you know, ruin everything. But it was just a good overall experience. The thing was, our brain power wasn't quite enough for this. But that was okay, because there is this guy who is watching us, probably from some hidden camera somewhere, and he's in the back room. He's watching us. He knows how to solve all the puzzles. He knows how to solve all the riddles. And he says, all you have to do is ask for help, and I will help you. And so at times we did. And so what he would do, he's watching, he sees where we're at, and he types up a little clue, a little hint, and it would come up on the screen. Sometimes he would see us, he would see us messing up, going the wrong direction. We didn't even ask him, and he would send us a clue or a hint. And so I found myself often looking to the screen to see, okay, what do we need to know here? The thing is, these people want you to succeed, right? Because it goes better for their business if you do, right? If we have a good experience, even if it's hard, you know, they're going to let us, you know, struggle through it a little bit. They want it to be a challenge, but they want us to do well. They want us to succeed. So we leave saying that was a lot of fun and we tell our friends and then they come back. So in that sense, you know that you can trust the hints and the clues that they give you, right? Because they want you to succeed. In fact, we'd all gather up as often as we could and read that stuff really carefully. Well, into the story, we succeeded, we did not fail, we escaped the room, and we had fun doing it. Okay, life is a lot like that escape room. But the goal is not to escape, of course. The goal is to endure, and to endure well. And we do have all these puzzles, right? All these problems in life, all these things that we don't quite know what to do with and we need help. And we have someone who is watching it all. He sees everything, and he knows how to solve all of it, right? He's got it all figured out. And I'll tell you what, I think he cares a whole lot more about us than that 20-year-old punk-like figure that was in that back room helping us out. I am quite sure that God loves us much more. We are his children, right? He is our father. He wants us to do well. And not only that, I mean, you could say if you wanted that it's good for the business in a sense, right? It is good for the kingdom if his children shine brightly in this dark world. It is good for us. It is good for his glory. We just have to remember to ask. We have to remember to ask for help. And when you're in that escape room, you know, I think there, there's a little shame in asking. You don't totally want to be those people who ask for help. In fact, I learned yesterday that there are some people that absolutely would never ask for help, and they tell the people, don't give us any help. And if there were clues on that screen, they would turn their back, right? They are like the super escapers. It's like, okay, fine, hooray for you, you're awesome. But that's fine in a game, right? Go ahead and be competitive. But in life, that is not okay, because we are not in and of ourselves, good enough to do it on our own. God wants to help us. He says, I should help you. I want you to ask for help, and I have it for you. I know everything. Come to me. I have it generously to give you. We just have to ask, we have to take it, and then we have to follow it. And if we do, we will get to the end of the story, and we will have succeeded, right? We will have endured we will have endured skillfully 
if we did it by going to God and asking him for help. And it will be good. It won't always be easy, of course, but it will be good because it always is when we follow God's ways. We have got to seek God's wisdom more and more in our lives. Let's pray. God, I do thank you that you you love us so much and we know that we don't have to go at it alone. Whether it's in trials when we feel like we are in a dark place and everything around us is unknown, we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, we know we can go to you for wisdom, or just in daily life, we want to live without regret. We want to do all the things that you call us to do in a way that pleases you, in a way where we will look back from eternity's vantage point and we will say we did it well because we did it how you wanted us to, that we were faithful. God, remind us to ask for wisdom. I know that we have so many ways we think to do life. We feel capable in so many ways, but we are not able to do it on our own in the way that you would call us to without asking for your wisdom. And so I pray that we would be women who are dependent on you, that we would remember to go to you often, not just appreciate your wisdom, not just the value that you give it, but really, truly think about it and ask for it. Lord, help us to do that from this day forward to the end of our lives. Help us to ask for more wisdom from you. In Jesus' name, amen.